Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to gather again. I thank you for uh, each one of these men uh, choosing this morning to, to get up, to uh, get in their vehicle and to drive here. And Lord, I, I pray for safety as they leave. I pray for safety for any gentlemen who are traveling right now. And uh, I thank you for uh, the men and women and children in our community that this is going to be a really, really hard week. I pray that you would give them safety and a sense of your presence. Lord, all these things I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, so uh, one of the things I've always loved about this gathering, Saturday morning men's Bible study, is, uh, I mean, there's a certain level of diversity within this group. And what I mean by that is particularly kind of church-oriented. Like, like one thing is, uh, a bunch of y'all don't even attend Southeast. If you don't attend Southeast as your regular church, just raise your hand. Just, it's, it's, yeah, look at that. I mean, that's, you know, it's usually about a third of you all don't attend Southeast. You know, that's, I'm, I love that you know, because you know, we're not just one. And even though a lot of you all who attend Southeast, uh, you're, not, you're not even really sure what you're going to, uh, to be, let's be honest. You know, Southeast, uh, as a church, is a part of what's called the Independent Christian Churches or Slash Churches of Christ. We all come from the Restoration Movement. How many of you does that mean absolutely nothing to you? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, that's, that's a lot of you. you know. But what it means is the, the churches that Southeast is a part of don't really have a part. They're, they're, we don't have a denomination. Every, every church is independent, has their own leadership. Uh, and we all kind of come out of, which was kind of a, a frontier uh, group of churches about a couple hundred years ago, we called the Restoration Movement. And... Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's just kind of the background. So a lot of times people say, like, well, what does Southeast believe? I go, I don't know. I mean, you know, what do you believe? I, I, I that don't mean that. But, but I, I've been a part of these sort of churches all my life. But some of you all just started coming to Southeast, you know. And it, 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 so I, I'll help you with this. Uh, our churches, we, we have these slogans that have been around forever. Like, like this, this is one of our slogans from these independent Christian churches. It says, we speak where the Bible speaks and we remain silent where the Bible is silent. Because in the beginning of these churches, the idea was a lot of churches end up making strong statements about things that, that, you know, that may, may not be biblical. So we say, hey, we don't do that. Okay, well, fair enough. Another one is no creed but Christ, no book but, but the Bible, no law but love. Okay. Again, that the, these churches, uh, some of them early, in our early days, were, were kind of pushing it back against some of the creeds. So, for instance, for myself, I never knew about these incredible the Nicene Creed and all these different creeds uh, through church history. That I never knew about those well into my 20s because we don't do those creeds. We just do the Bible. It sounds very pure, you know. Uh, in matters of faith, unity... In matters of opinion, liberty, and in all things love. We talk a lot about love. I don't know that we do it, but we talk a lot about it. So, you know, the, the, so that idea that, you know, we're a big tent. You know, we're not, you know we're, there's going to be a lot of liberty and, and a lot of room for differing opinions. But the, but the one that, that I always remembered the most from my, as I was growing up is this one. It says, we want to return to New Testament Christianity, or we want to be a first century Christian. That was a big thing. Was, yeah, we're, we want to be a New Testament Christian church. And by that, uh, what, what, what these groups were trying to say, churches trying to say, is, uh, you know, we want to uh, go back to, you know, the, the water is the purest at its source and all this sort of stuff. We want to go back to the New Testament and, and live like that. So, you know, these are all just slogans that I kind of grew up with. Uh, 
And at some point as I was growing up, as I studied the Bible, I realized, wow, the actual practice of Christianity back in the New Testament, uh, it was was pretty interesting, actually, in some of those churches. The, the, The actual New Testament Christianity, there was a lot of stuff going on that I don't know that we'd say, yeah, we want to be like that. So I like the idea of going back to the original sources, but as I studied, studying some of these letters and, and churches and finding out stuff, man, there was a lot of stuff going on. Like, like for instance, in the Corinthian church, the, the church at Corinth, uh, they had, I mean, uh, they, had a lot, they had a lot going for this church. I mean, they, uh, uh, Paul went there probably at least three times. Uh, he stayed there the first time, well, a year and a half, which is a long time for the Apostle Paul to stay in one place. Uh, he wrote probably three letters to them, uh, for sure, too. And, and they had a, a lot of talented people at their church. They, they had some wealthy people at their church. They were in a significant uh, city. Uh, but, but they were a mess. I mean, stuff that was going on in this church. I mean, they had... Uh, uh, they had divisions within the church uh, based upon popular leaders. They had uh, sexuality issues going on in the church. They had worship issues. They were complaining about what songs they were singing. Even back then, they had legal issues. Uh, they had people suing. They had all sorts of stuff going on. And as, I, so I, as a young man, I thought, well, that's kind of, you know, I don't know if we want to be a New Testament church because the New Testament church was kind of crazy. So the bad news is, I thought at the time, maybe the New Testament church wasn't as pure as we like to think it was. But I really think the good news for me is that I can learn a lot from those churches because those, that New Testament church was filled with people like me and Sam. <laughs> and, you know, people who had a desire to follow God but also had, had some real challenges in their own life. And any organization of people is going to have its issues if it tries to accomplish something together. So, uh, for the next, really, several months, we're going to study that, that letter that, to, to, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And, uh, and, and, we're gonna, and you can't study that letter without talking about what those New Testament Christians were like and, 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 and what that looked like. And uh, so, the good news is, I think we're going to find in that letter, a fairly lengthy letter, a whole lot of stuff about us and stuff, about you and me. So, uh, but to, before we do that, I have to say that we're not going to actually start the study of 1 Corinthians until two weeks from now. And so we had two weeks that, that we needed to fill, uh, because that's when all the church is going to do a launch on groups and all this sort of stuff. So anyway, and so we're going to do something that I've never, I've never done in Sermon Bible study. I'm going I'm to be bold enough to say I don't think it's ever happened. So we, we, we're going to study 1 Corinthians but I got two weeks, and so what we're going to do is spend two weeks actually studying the context of this letter. We're actually going to spend two weeks talking about the background, the this and that, before we jump into chapter 1, verse 1, okay? So, uh, and I think that'll help us. So, for any letter, what are, what are some of the important context or variable for, for any letter you're going to that's going to be sent and read and whatever. What are some of the important variables that you ought to look at when you're talking about a letter sent to somebody? Okay, what was that, Bruce? Oh, intro, body, and conclusion. Okay, that's as far as, as, far as how to write a letter. You got an intro, body, and conclusion. I appreciate that, Bruce. Uh, somebody had to hand up over here. Charlie? Same thing? Okay. 
okay, so, so who is the recipient? Who, who's being spoken to? Because that's a big deal in, in letters. I mean, because, like, like, for instance, I have two letters here uh, that I have. Uh, one is a, uh, a fun little card with some little lovey-dovey stuff that I wrote to my wife. And the other one, yeah, that's yeah, okay. And, uh, and the other one is, is a letter to the zoning board. Now, now, I wrote both these letters, but they're different because of the who's receiving them, Bruce says. Okay, all right. All right. What, what, else, what else is different? Yeah, Luke. Okay, the purpose of the letter. Again, this letter, well, well, let's not talk about the purpose of this letter, but you all understand I wrote this to my wife. You know, this basically, you know, you do stuff to try to have them love you back. And, and then this letter, that's a very different purpose. I'm trying to get something accomplished and make sure I don't get in trouble well, maybe they are kind of similar. But anyway, uh, 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 to the zoning board. Okay, all right, okay. Hey, yes, sir. Okay, so, so, so a lot of times in a, in a letter, even with both those, there's some type of opening or introduction and stuff like that. I agree with that. But also, so not only there's a recipient, but this, there's the author as well. I mean, who wrote the letter? Now, in this case, we, we, we're very confident that Paul wrote this letter, okay? Uh, but he wrote other letters, and other people wrote letters. So, so instant, for instance, back on this letter that I sent my wife, uh, it's important that I wrote this letter. I mean, I mean, I mean if, 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 if John wrote this letter to my wife, there'd be a problem. I mean, I, I mean, I checked with her, and she said, actually, she's okay with that, okay? But, uh, but I, mean, you know, there, I mean, who the author is, and, and so the fact that Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians it's important to understand who Paul is, to understand who the Corinthians are. And then also, you already said this, why, why write the letter? What's the purpose of the letter? And so, so we're going to talk today particularly about Paul, the author. Uh, next week, we'll talk a lot about Corinth, the recipients, uh, and, and, and about what's the, and in both of them, we'll talk a little bit about the purpose and stuff. Bill? Oh. Uh, when a letter was written. And that is interesting because uh, I asked my wife and, and she came up with, with a few different letters that I've written her through the years. And I can tell when they were because they kind of dealt with different issues. I, in this one, I, I talk about how wonderful she is with raising our children. Well, our children are, are long gone. And so it, it, a win is, 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 is important as well. All right, and so all, all of y'all are right on all that. There's this sense of... But so I've never taken the time in this setting. Usually, hey, chapter 1, verse 1, let's turn to it. And by the way, uh, Corinth was a city in Greece, and Paul was the apostle. Okay, now let's go on. So instead, we get two weeks to do that. So I, I hope you feel like, oh, okay, there's, that, that, that's going to be worth it. So let's get into it. Uh, so we're going to talk about the author of 1 Corinthians. It's the apostle Paul. And in many ways, other than Jesus... I mean, the Apostle Paul is kind of, he's the dominant character of the New Testament other than Jesus. Uh, uh, but understanding his background, his life, his passions will help us understand this letter. All right, so I, I, thought, I thought all this, like, okay, how do I want to go about this? How do I want to make it a lesson just about the Apostle Paul, keep you engaged? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to teach you in a way, I, ha I, hate, I hate to admit this, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to give some of you all an uneasy feeling but we're going to go through it, but I'm going to give you a pop quiz. We're going to do a quiz about the Apostle Paul. And, and, and there's not winners. Or, well, there is going to be a winner because, that, because uh, the winner of this quiz is going to get a, 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 yeah, there is a $25 gift card. And where's it to? Paul's Fruit Market. 
Yeah, a, a $25 gift card to Paul's Fruit Market, all right? And, um, and so the winner's going to get that. But I, I got to keep you engaged. But some of y'all are a little competitive. I, Marvin can't be here today because his, his wife actually just had her knee replaced. And he's at home caring for her. Let's all pray for, for her, all right? I, I mean, I can't imagine. But, but you know, he always likes to be competitive in these things. You as well, some of you. But there's, we'll have one winner come out of this. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. And, uh, and coming out of that. We'll, we'll, we'll learn a whole lot about the Apostle Paul. So question number one, just, just keep your own score. Question number one, the Apostle Paul was born and raised in Jerusalem, to or false? The first question is, is the Apostle Paul was born and raised in Jerusalem, to or false? Just come up with your answer. You can write it down if you want to. You don't have to. There's only going to be a few of these. Have it in your head. The Apostle Paul was born and raised in Jerusalem, to or false? All right, what's the answer? Okay, the answer is false. How many of you are already out of contention? Okay, I appreciate that. Just, just being honest. Being honest, I appreciate that. All right. All right. Uh, so the Apostle Paul wasn't born, in, born and raised. Uh, actually, it's just an opportunity to show off here. Where was he born? Not you, Paul. But you don't get the answer today. You already had a minute with a microphone. All right. Uh, anybody? Uh, yes, yes. Larry. Is it Tarsus? Uh, I... Uh, and Tarsus is not what you put on your fish sandwich, okay? It's, it's Tarsus, it's T-A-R-S-U-S. Actually, uh, hey, we, uh, we got a slide here. Actually, I kind of forgot this. We got our first slide is just, just of the Apostle Paul. We'll, we'll move on. We'll talk about him later. That's a face only a mother could love, agreed? I mean, uh, and he, he would say about himself that he wasn't all that striking physically, uh, uh, even though he had been struck many times physically, balding head, his eyes were weak, blah, blah, blah. But let's go to this next picture, and I apologize, I should have brought my, uh, should have brought my, uh, my, my pointer. So down here is Jerusalem, okay, and you know, and a lot of stuff happened in Jerusalem. Tarshish is right up there past Antioch, right up there past Antioch. It's, it's in what is present-day Turkey, and, uh, and he was born there, he was raised there, his family was from there. Now, again, I will say this, he was of a Jewish background, his family was Jewish, but one of the things about the Jews in the time of Jesus is they lived all throughout the Mediterranean world. Uh, the, 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 the Jews had been spread out several times, through, a lot of times not by choice, and they, they, they lived in pockets all across the known world, and so Paul was from up in what is presently day Turkey, a town called Tarshish. And that's where he was born. Now, what's really interesting about Paul's life is in many ways, he was born about the same time Jesus was. And, and so while the apostle Paul was born up there in, in Tarshish, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in a place called Nazareth, which is up around the Sea of Galilee. Both of them were kind of away from Jerusalem. Both of them would have grown up within the family business. Uh, and and we, we know about this. And what's interesting to me is... As I had never really thought about it this way, but the two of them were growing up at about the same time. Now, what's also interesting, though, about their lives, though, is they, they didn't cross paths. Uh, so, so Paul grew up in Tarshish, this town around Turkey, but he seemed to be a bright student. And so at some point, he studied under, uh, oh, this is another chance, this, is, this isn't one of the questions, but he studied under who? Gamaliel, or however you want to say it. I mean, we don't know. Uh, well, somebody does, but not me. And, and he was a great rabbi down in Jerusalem. And so at some point, probably in his teenage years, imagine this. A young man saw his, 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 his parents 
put him on a bus, well, or maybe, maybe a ship, came down there and he went to Jerusalem. And they would have probably gone there at different times for festivals. And, but he goes there and he becomes a student under Gamaliel. Again, I, I also thought about you know, Jesus as a young man coming to the temple and talking to the great teachers and maybe Gamaliel was one of those. But, but they, they, again, their, their lives are kind of parallel here. And so he's there in Jerusalem being trained. But then he would have gone back, it appears, to back to Tarsus at some point. And then Jesus starts up his ministry as a young adult man. And so Jesus has his ministry for three years. And there's no sense that Paul and Jesus ever had any interaction during that time. Paul would have told us that if he had. And, and so Jesus has his ministry. He dies on the cross. He raises again. He goes up into heaven. The church starts soon after him, led by the apostles, and then Paul, or slash Saul, comes onto the scene. And so, so it's very interesting that they, they, they just seemed on kind of, they lived parallel lives, but they, they missed each other in that way. All right, so number one, was he born and raised in, in Jerusalem? The answer to that is false. All right, the pressure builds. All right, um, so uh, question number two, question number two. This is another true-false question, all right? The Apostle Paul's name was changed from Saul to Paul when he was blinded on the road to Damascus, all right? So the Apostle Paul's name was changed from Saul to Paul when he was blinded on the way to Damascus. True or false? Just get your answer in your head. All right, get your answer in your head. Apostle Paul was on, his name was changed from Saul to Paul when he was blinded on the road to Damascus. All right, the answer to that is... Uh, that you're, you're do- Actually, it's false. Good job. Good job. Because many people believe, like other times in the Bible, there was a moment where his name was changed from Saul to Paul. And a lot of times, and actually a lot of preachers kind of tell that story. But it, it, there's nowhere in Scripture that says that. So where, what's with the two names? Anybody? Oh, wow, we're not doing that well then. Okay, Paul, you can talk. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, so, so maybe... Maybe you're thinking, oh, there, now we're good. So, so Saul uh, in Hebrew means to be called or something like that, I think. But also it was the name of the world, uh, the most famous Benjamite, King Saul. And, and so Saul was a very good Jewish name. Paul is not a Jewish name. Paul is more of a Roman slash Greek name. And so it quite, uh, that, that, but that's Paul's, quite, it, quite possibly he had both names his whole life. But if he's hanging out in Jerusalem, he's Saul. But if he is in Corinth, where we're going to talk about, which is a Roman city, he's going to be Paul. And so, as a matter of fact, one of the places in Scripture, it says Saul, who was also called Paul. He's got, he's got two names. And some of you are like that. And some of you have two names because you're doing something shady. I don't think that's what Paul was doing. Uh, but uh, but he, he just had both names. So, so there's, there wasn't this great name change. But I mentioned here about him having this conversion on the, on, the, on the road to Damascus, that was a big deal. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. Now again, we, we, a lot of what we know about Paul is from the book of Acts that talks about how the early church started. And, uh, you know, kind of the second half of the book of Acts is really almost all about the Apostle Paul and his journeys and stuff. But, it, but his story really begins kind of here in Acts chapter 9. He's mentioned once before at the stoning of Stephen which was an early church leader, uh, you know, so when they ask you to be in church leadership, be careful because they got this guy killed. Uh, and, and when he was stoned to death, uh, the, the Saul was right there uh, giving approval to that. But then we pick it up in chapter 9. So, so what we have here is, is Saul had 
gone away. He came back to Jerusalem, it appears. He was a Pharisee. He was a, a Jewish leader. We'll talk more about that later. And, uh, and, and as he came back, uh, he saw the problem. This, this, this early church was, was taking people who were Jewish and turned them into followers of Christ. He saw that as a real problem. And so he, he kind of set out to try to eliminate this problem. We'll pick it up. We'll just read through chapter 9 here a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the, the Lord's disciples. Uh, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So, Because he found out not only were there Christians here in Jerusalem, they were throughout, throughout the, as, again, as the Jews spread, so did the followers of Christ. And so he found out, hey, there's Christians up here in Damascus, and they're bothering the Jewish church there as well. So he goes to get, he gets letters. So, I mean, they're, they're, it's 135 miles away. I mean, that's going to a lot of trouble back then to, to go get people. That's what, I mean, he was passionate about this. And so what it is, is you could go up there to these Jewish people, and they didn't have any, they didn't have Roman authority, but they had the Jewish authority. He's going to go up there, he's going to kind of arrest them by the church and bring them back to Jerusalem and have them stand trial among, among the Jewish people. He wanted, to, he wanted to snuff out the church, as it were. So anyway, so uh, uh, we'll pick it up here. In, uh, so he letters to the synagogues in Damascus so, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, again, this uh, name for the early church, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and, uh, and you will be told what you must do. So here it is, Paul, on the way with some other, some other uh, people with him, on the way to Damascus. Again, it's a 135-mile journey. He's on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians, to bring them back, to stand before the Jewish officials. And, uh, and all of a sudden, he gets this blinding light. And then he hears the voice of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And, and he, he's pretty shocked by that. I mean, it's a pretty good story, okay? Uh, the men traveling uh, with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone, and Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could, he could see nothing, so he's blinded. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. So he was, so in the eyes, he's getting led into Damascus by, by hand. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Man, that would have a powerful impact on you, okay? He's, he doesn't know what to do. Now, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. That means a disciple of Jesus Christ. He's a follower of Christ. He's the sort of guy that Paul, Saul, would have been coming after. And the Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. I've got to appreciate Ananias. He has a vision, and God calls out to him, and he says, yes, Lord. I mean, that's a guy who's anticipating God doing powerful things. Anyway, the Lord said to him, uh, go to the house of Judas on, on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Jesus says to him in a vision, hey, listen, go down to this, uh, this street, to this house, and, and, and you, you're looking for a guy named Saul from Tarsus. Lord, Ananias answered, I don't know if you've looked into this, but uh, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. Are you sure I'm the guy? Uh, verse 14, and he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call in your name. I don't want to have anything to do with this guy. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So as you read on, Ananias goes there. He goes in. He prays for Paul. Paul, Paul can see. Uh, his, his, his vision returns. Uh, uh, you know, and, and, he, and he says, you know, Jesus told me to come and do this for you, uh, that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength and he started preaching. <laughs> from day one, he started preaching and, and we, we won't go through all through his life there, but I mean, that's, that's a pretty spectacular conversion. Let me ask you, did any of you all at your time of conversion get blinded by a bright light, hear the voice of Jesus, and become blind for three days? Anybody have that same experience? Yeah, yeah, neither did I. Uh, on the faces of Christ, we, 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 call, we have a thing we call testimony envy, you know, where people have a really great story, and some of us, you know, and I'm one of you, just doesn't have that great of a story. I mean, Paul's story is pretty spectacular. I mean, that'll get your attention. Well, you know, I was, I was, I was on my way to persecute Christians, but instead I got blinded by this light, Jesus spoke to me, and now I'm preaching the gospel. That's a pretty good story. Uh, I, I just, I don't have that good of a story. Uh, I've not experienced anything quite like that. Um, but I will say this, I, I, I mean, again, my story, I mean, I, I, my parents were really good, godly people that raised me in the church, you know, it just, there's not much exciting about my story. But I will say this, God has, though, revealed himself to me in ways kind of uniquely to me, and you as well. I mean, I, 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 the term I use is God enlightened Saul with his blinding light. He's enlightened me along the way as well. Again, not in a big spectacular way, and, 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 and not just for conversion. I mean, along the way, God has revealed himself to me in very personal ways, and I think he has to you as well. As, as I thought about this, I, I, I came, and I used this illustration once before in here, I believe, you know, a decade ago or something like that. But here's one of the ways he, he, he revealed himself to me. Here, next slide. Does anybody know what this is? This is a real, this, this is one Paul Chrysalis won't get. So this is a chance for you to say, that little dude, he doesn't know anything. Uh, does anybody know what this is? Yes, sir. Oh, get out of here. Yes, it's the Krebs cycle. Give that man something. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, okay, okay. so it's the Krebs cycle. And, and it, to be quite honest, this, this became significant in my life in 1981, sitting in a, in a classroom at the Harvard of the South, University of Kentucky. Uh, I, I, was sitting in a, in a, I was sitting in a biochemistry class. I was in a little bit over my head academically in this class, biochemistry class. And the professor, I don't remember his name, uh, as a part of the class, explained the Krebs cycle. And he put up on the board something like this. And basically, the Krebs cycle, just to keep it really, really simple, it's, it's the battery of your body. Hey, you think about this. I, I, almost all of you have a phone in your pocket. And uh, if you don't do anything with this phone, in about a day or two, it's going to run down. The battery's going to, and it's, it's not going to be, it's going to be useless. And so you charge it back in, and it, it, it we're going to. What's the battery in Mike? What, what, what's the battery inside? So he said, well, the heart. Well, no, the heart pumps blood, but, I mean, it needs energy as well. What, what's the battery in you? Well, in a, in, in very, very crudely, it's the Krebs cycle. And the, what the Krebs cycle talks about is 
when you intake food, as he said, when you eat a cracker, it actually is what allows you to actually move and this and that because it breaks it down and it creates down here a little thing called ATP, which is basically an, a, 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 or again, like a, an electrical charge. And that's how your body creates energy throughout your lifetime. And that Krebs cycle is happening in almost every cell in your body right now. And some of you, it's happening a lot because you just stuck a bunch of sugar in it with that donut. And the Krebs cycle, it's zipping around trying to take that donut, that, 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 that sugar, those carbohydrates, and turn them into energy. So the energy that allows you to write, to get up, to walk out to your car. And our batteries are constantly being recharged by the Krebs cycle. And so he explains this, and I'm sitting there. Now, I've been in a church all my life. Uh, Never had great doubts. I've been in church, but here I am. I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably my junior year at UK, and I'm, I'm hearing this, and a little light went on. And that light was, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, I, I mean he said you eat a cracker, and that allows you, this is, what, this is what happens so that you can actually move around. And in that moment, I had a little religious experience because I walked out of that classroom not understanding the Krebs cycle well enough to do well on the test, but I understood it well enough to say, wow, wow. I mean, and God created all that. I mean, that didn't, and it, in this moment, it was to me an enlightenment where I had a glimpse of God and his majesty and his creation. And here's what's neat to me is none of us were blinded and had God speak to us and then had another guy come and lay hands on us so we could see. None of us have that in our... But you do have stuff like this. This is just a story of a 21-year-old young Christian who, had a, who was enlightened to the amazement of God. And you've got those stories as well. And I think it's never a believe the lie that your story, your enlightenments are insignificant. Because the God of the universe helped that young man see an image of him, and he does the same thing with you. And I, I think we should, we should cherish those. Now, again, yours may not be as spectacular as the Apostle Paul or the guy sitting next to you, but never diminish God busting into your life and saying, let me show you a little bit about me. All right, uh, let, let's, uh, let's, uh, that's the Krebs cycle. So let's move on. You don't, you don't need to. That's not part of, the, part of the test. All right, um, all right. question number three. All right, here we go. This is a multiple choice question. All right, so we're getting off the true-false. Question number three. The Apostle Paul was, A, a highly educated Jewish leader, right, that's A, or B, a Roman citizen, C, an artisan who made tents, or D, an unmarried man, or E, all of the above. I'm going to go back to them again, right? The Apostle Paul was, A, a highly educated religious uh, Jewish leader, B, a Roman citizen, C, an artisan who made tents, D, an unmarried man, or E, all the above. All right, and the answer is? Yeah, the answer was E, all the above. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. But he goes to his mother-in-law. How could he have a mother-in-law if he was unmarried? That was Peter who went to his mother-in-law, I think you're thinking. That's okay. It's, you know, it's, it's, we're old, you know, and it happens, okay? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and I will say this, I will say this, to, to your point, he could have an, a mother-in-law, 
But when he wrote his letters, he was unmarried. Now, to be quite honest, he may have been married earlier in his life. Because almost all Jewish, and certainly to be a Pharisee, he probably was married. But, in his, but when he begins, when we learn about him, he's unmarried. But to be quite honest, he could have, his wife could have passed away. I mean, life expense was very difficult. And to be honest, his wife could have left him when he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Because it seems that his family doesn't have a whole lot to do with him. He speaks to them very vaguely. And so quite possibly his wife says, you know, because later he will say, if you are a believer and you have an unbelieving spouse, stay with them. But if they walk away, they walk away. And maybe he was speaking of his own experience. So, 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 but when he writes his letters, he's an unmarried man. Yeah. This is, this, it only goes one way here. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, Tom. Okay, okay. Okay, now that was a really good line. But uh, so, so Tom said he, he prayed to God and pleaded three times that he would take away the thorn in the flesh. Okay, okay. That's, uh, yeah. It's a good line, but keep it to yourself. Okay, all right, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. All right, all right, okay. Uh. And let me just say, as someone who has a mother-in-law that lives with him, the idea of having a mother-in-law and not having a wife seems like a terrible trade. But let's move on. All right, so uh, uh, anyway, so the answer is all of those are correct. So back on the highly educated Jewish leader, you all, we've already talked about that. He trained under, under one of the leading rabbis. He became a Pharisee. The apostle... Peter and John, God bless them, they were, they were average Joes. I mean, they, they were just fishermen and this. The, the apostles, for the most part, for the most part, were just a bunch of guys. The apostle Paul, he, he was bright, okay? The apostle Paul was gifted in some different areas. Uh, he, was a, he was a really, I think he was a really good writer. He would say he wasn't a great speaker, but he knew how to speak. And, and he knew how to, again, use, using a... Uh, his training, how to make a really good argument and stuff. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he was a bright guy. He was a bright guy. Uh, and, and he was highly trained and educated, uh, which, which he would then use uh, uh, for, for the, the gospel. He was a Roman citizen. Now, this is really interesting because he, he, he doesn't appear to be, have been born a Roman citizen. He was, he, was a, he was a Jewish person. And Jews, they were conquered by the Romans, not part of it. So does anybody have any idea how him and his family may have become Roman citizens? Sam. Okay, so, so Sam, I love this because things haven't changed, right? Because you could, if, you, if you're willing to pay a price, you could become a Roman citizen. I mean, it, it could be bought. And again, just like any good, relig- uh, any good political system, you can buy into it. And, and, and Paul's family, if they were financially well-to-do, they may have said, you know what, it's worth it. You know, because if we... And some of y'all have done this. You pay dues to be a, to be a part of something to get some, some status or whatever. And, that, and to be a Roman citizen had some tremendous advantages. And the Apostle Paul would use that trump card over and over and over in his, in his travels. He would say, hey, hey, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. And that changed everything a few times for him legally. And the other way is if you did something spectacular for the Romans, they would maybe grant you citizenship. And again... Maybe someone in Paul's family at some point, a father or a grandfather in some way, did something in a a way that really aided the Romans, and they got granted citizenship. Either way, it passed down to Paul, and it it would become, you'll see this over and over as you study through Paul, that being a Roman citizen becomes a significant thing. All right. Uh, C, it was an artisan who made tents. 
That's what the family business was. Jesus, growing up, was in the family business of being a carpenter. Paul grew up in, in a family business that, that they made tents. Particularly Tarsus, there they're from, they had, uh, I think, uh, either sheep or goats that were kind of uh, dark-colored black. And so many of their tents may have been, uh, been black tents. And, they, and that's, some people think that that's what they did for the Romans, is maybe they provided tents and they got their citizenship through that at a cut-rate price or something like that. We don't know. And so, so what Paul then does is throughout his missionary journeys, wherever he goes, not only would he begin to preach, but many times he would look for work as a tent maker in some way. And actually, that's where that term comes from. You may have heard this, where people in missions will say, I'm going to be a tent maker in this location. And, and, and what they mean is, I'm going to get a job, quote-unquote. I'm going to have a business maybe and that's going to give me uh, my, my, my place there and, and, and so I'm going to be doing that while I share the gospel. And so many times you'll hear people say I'm going to be a tent maker and that's referring back to the Apostle Paul. Why, why do you think that was a big deal to Paul? Because, and it happens in Corinth, he, he starts making tents in Corinth. Why, why, why do you think it's a big deal to him to have this side hustle in a sense where he does this and uh, as well as sharing the gospel. Yes, sir? His ministry is nomadic, and so, so, so why, why is the tent making important then? Okay. Yeah, and that's a business he could do anywhere, and he could go there and he could say, I start doing that. Okay, all right, I appreciate that. Glenn? Yeah, so the Apostle Paul was, felt pretty strongly about this. He's not going to go into a town and say, here I am, uh, it'd be really good if you all started supporting me because I'm here to convert you or something like that. Or I'm here to, and again, as somebody, <laughs> this makes me a little uneasy, as somebody who actually gets paid to be a Christian, Paul said, I don't want to do that. But it's not that he minded, because well, Jesus said, you know, give the, every man his due. But the Apostle Paul says, I don't want to be indebted to anybody because the Apostle Paul does know this. Once you're indebted to somebody, they have a voice in what you do. And the Apostle Paul said, I, I only want God telling me what to do. I, I don't want somebody saying, hey, uh, I've supported you in the past, and I think you need to stay here in Corinth longer. And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm nomadic. I need to move on. Well, yeah, we don't want to do that. So there were, uh, particularly Philippi supported him financially several times, and he appreciated that. But he had an independent sense about him that's saying, I don't, want to be, I don't want to owe any man my allegiance. I want my allegiance only, only to God, only God. That's, and that's, you know, that, that's his thing. And I do think it allowed, it gave him credibility wherever he went as well. He's not just, because again, a, a lot of people were looking for somebody to financially support them. And, the, and that Paul guy, he, he, he does it on his own. He's not, here, he's not here to gain anything from us, per se. Paul. Yeah, and so, so Paul could say to the Corinthians, or, because the, the whole Corinthians letters is going to be him replying to some problems and to some complaints and stuff. He said, listen, you can't, you can't accuse me of that because I, I never asked for or received anything from you all. Now, he would, now what, what is interesting is Paul does collect collections all the time, but it's typically for 
uh, for the poor around the world, particularly in Jerusalem. So he'll go to his church and say, hey, listen, we need to collect money, but it's not for me, it's for the poor, uh, particularly in Jerusalem. So that's that whole idea of tent making. It's a big deal. He'll talk about it a lot. He'll show up in this letter, okay? So he was an artisan and made tents. And I think, I think for Paul, I think that also kind of kept him grounded. Uh, and, and you meet a lot of people doing that, you know, because he, he's doing this work. And because sometimes people say to him, hey, if you didn't do this work, you could spend more time on the gospel. And sometimes he did, but other times I think he would say, hey, listen, all of life is the gospel, okay? Uh, and then, uh, uh, then the other one is the unmarried man. We've already ta- kind of talked about that in great detail. And so as Paul wrote these letters, he comes from that, that, that unmarried perspective, and, 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 and that'll come up because he'll talk about marriage and, and relationships in, in the letter of 1 Corinthians. And so those were all correct, and they all have a part of, of, of who he is and what he's about. Okay, all right, uh, okay, good, good, good. So uh, question number four, question number four. Paul's ministry lasted, because this is another multiple choice answer. Paul's ministry lasted, A, three years just like Jesus. His ministry lasted three years just like Jesus. B, 10 years. C, 20 years. Or D, 30 years. All right, so here we go. Paul's ministry from the time of his conversion to the time of his death, all right, uh, lasted about three years, just like Jesus, 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, okay? All right, and the answer is, okay, now that was a little bit harder. The answer is 30 years, and, and that's, that's as best we, we, can, uh, we can estimate. 30 years was the answer, 30 years. So, so that, 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 uh, let's give out our gift. Did anybody get all of them correct? Hey, congratulations, good job. Matter of fact, do raise your hand again if you got them all correct. Somebody near that person, pat them on the back. Just pat them on the back because that's all they're getting. All right. Uh, how many of you all only? How many of you only missed one? How many of you only missed one? Oh, okay, it's good job. Good job. Good. How many of you missed missed two of the four? Right, how many of you missed three of the four? How many of you missed three or four or all four? How many of you missed three or four or all four? Okay. Okay. I, 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 I tell you what. You know, in, in the honor the apostle paul all apostle is all about grace and so you know what you don't earn it by getting being perfect you earn it by being honest and uh and, and realizing that you don't have all that much so go enjoy something on the apostle paul at paul's fruit market and uh it may or may not have money on it they were struggling i mean they were they were struggling with it so just if it doesn't come back to me all right okay all right he was, God, Paul was all about, all about grace, and so I think he would appreciate it going to somebody who didn't know him all that well. Uh, so here's what's amazing. So Paul's ministry lasted for about 30 years, and during that 30 years, and I won't go through the whole list, I mean, because we, we, uh, there's times, like right after, right after his, his conversion, he goes off, and, and most people think for about three years, he kind of went off by himself. He said he was trained by Jesus during that time. He, I think he, he had to take what he knew about the Jewish scriptures and now put in the Messiah. And then another time, he was, he was kind of unknown for, for quite a few years, and he seemed to be just off on his own, evangelizing on his own. And, and, and then, but then we also know that, because he says, he says, I mean, he was shipwrecked three times. Uh, one time he spent a day, in a, a day in the open sea, you know, just, you know, floating along. He was beaten, oh gosh, like five times. He was stoned one time. He was, uh, 
Uh, and when I mean stone for some of you guys, that means had rocks thrown at him, okay? All right, so again, some of you have a little bit, you know, questionable knowledge on things. All right, uh, he, uh, he had all sorts of personal disappointments, people who kind of turned on him. He had, uh, he had legal issues. Uh, as I started, again, I was going back through his, his on his way to Corinth, he, he, you know, he first went to Philippi. That went really well until he got beaten and thrown into prison. Then got him out. Got, God brought him out of the prison, but then uh, they had to leave town. So they, they go from there to Thessalonica, and it really grew there until they got beaten again. And then they went to Berea, and then that was okay. And then he went to Athens. Athens. I always have to remember, am I an educated person or somebody from Kentucky when I say that word? Okay, when he went to Athens, when he went to Athens, which was the kind of the cultural, educational center of the world, he got laughed at in many ways. And he left there to come to Corinth. I mean, he had, his life was hard for 30 years. Here's my question, and this isn't on the test. We're done with the test. How did he manage that? How for 30 years does he stay focused and moving forward when he's... He's working for a living. He's, he's doing this. He's, I mean, he is physically uh, getting beaten up multiple times, shipwrecked. I mean, it, 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 no one would have complained for him to say, you know what, it's time for me to step aside. How do, how do you think? How do you think? We're, we're, just, we're just talking. We're just a group of guys talking. How do you think he did that for 30 years? Yes, sir, in the back. So, as a matter of fact, one time he, he talks about, hey, he goes, I'm content in all things. And so he, he's able, able in the midst of this craziness to say, I'm content, which he must have found contentment outside of his circumstances. Because his circumstances didn't seem to be real content worthy. Okay, all right. Yes, sir. Somebody, somebody here had a hand up, I think. No? Okay. Steve? <laughs> he was single. Okay, okay. Now, I, I, it's, it's funny, but you're not trying to be funny. No, I mean, I mean he, he was, I mean, back to being a free agent and not, ha- not owing any. he was able to go where God took him, and he, and he wasn't, he, he, was, he was a free agent for God. I mean, he, he's like, man, I'll go where you send me to go. And so there was a sense of, his, of him being all in on that. Yeah, yes, sir. He had visions, I think, six times. Okay, so, so, so he... he now, that, that's interesting. Now, that's interesting. I, I, I'm going I'm to stay with this, Wayne. So he, he had l- literal visions from God. Like, like one time, he wanted to go here, and God says, you're not going there. You're going to go here. He always wanted to get to Rome, and God says, ah, no, you're not going to get to Rome. Well, you're going to get to Rome later in a way you've never thought of. And so, but, but also, I think he had a sense of, not only, and again, I have to say, there's been a few times in my life that I felt like God very clearly directed me in certain ways. But I think I would also say that he had a sense of vision or mission. And that's not something just waiting for God to tell him. He had an overarching mission in life. Just anybody, what do you think his mission in life would be? He speaks to it several times. He kind of will say it in different ways. What do you think his mission in life was? I'll come to you, Jerry, in just a second. Well, what do you think his mission in life was? Yes. Okay, so, so lead people to Christ. He would be more specific than that, I think. Yeah, Chris? Know that, to, to know God, to, to truly know God, and, and he would speak to that. I, and, but, yeah, yeah, Jer, uh, Gary? In the 20th chapter of Acts, he says, my only aim is to finish the race 
Okay, now, we don't like to quote scripture in here. No, 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 no. I mean, in Acts 20, that's, he, he says, my only aim is to, is to finish this race. What was the race? What was the race? What was his race? To tell everyone he could, and particularly, he, was, he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. I mean, it, it, he made this deal with the apostles. Hey, guys, you all focus on the Jews. I'm going to the Gentiles. And particularly, I think he would say, and I want to go where no one's ever been before. I mean, Paul was always pushing the boundaries of the gospel. And that's the reason he wanted to get to Rome. It kinda, I think it ticked him off that there were already Christians in Rome because he wanted to be the first one there. And then, he, and then uh, tradition says to us that he probably got all the way to Spain. And i got to tell you, I think if it was up to him, he would have gotten to what we call Britain or England because, you know, the Romans had spread out that far. And he says, I want to go where nobody's ever been, and I'm going to share the gospel with Gentiles until the day I die. So I, so I, but he had that, what's the power of having that sense of this is who I am? What's the power in that? You're focused. You're focused. It allows you, to, again, to make decisions getting up in the day because if it doesn't fit the focus or the mission, then I don't need to do it. Yeah, Paul? It, it, it emboldens you because, hey, this is what I'm about. It's powerful to know what you're about. And, and we'll talk about this in your discussion questions later. Most of us have visions or missions in our life. Now, and sometimes they may be affiliated with God. But, 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 but what is it that causes you to say, this is who I am? This is who I am. So I think that was powerful. Paul. Okay, Jerry, you were going to say something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he always remembered that, you know, God has called me and, and he's, you know, and the same God who called me is, is walking with me. Yes, sir, Adam. Yeah, so... So he came to understand that and grasp it and choose it. And so that, that's back on mission and vision and calling, all these different words you want to call that. And, and Paul had a strong sense of that. And, and so I think, therefore, when somebody would say, hey, let's do this, Paul would say, yeah, go ahead, but that's not for me because this is who I am. Uh, yes, Doug. Yeah. So, and, and he did know God's word, and he, and he was aware, and back on the praying to have something, he was aware of his own weaknesses, he, 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 but he was aware of God's power, and so he became very aware of himself and God, and, and that's a powerful thing. Yes, sir? I'm not sure how to spell posse, P-O-S-S-E, posse, I don't know. And you're exactly right, actually. He, he brought other people along with him. I, I got to tell you, I'm an introvert, and I really don't want anybody to go along with me. Like, uh, here in a few minutes, I'm going to leave here. Don't follow me, okay? I, 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 you know, uh, I'm going to go over here to Vicky at the drive-thru at Taco Bell. I'm going to say hi to her. I haven't seen her in about a month. And I'm going to, you know, but that's just me. But the Apostle Paul... He brought people along with him. He was really pretty amazing in that way. And, and he, he, he brought them along, and, and they didn't always come through for him. But he continued to do that. And, and it's a really a powerful thing that he brought people along with him. And, and I think that is one of the reasons he was able to do it for 30 years, because it wasn't all on him. I mean, he had these people that he trained up and that worked along with him, and he loved them, and they loved him. Great answer. Yes, Dwight. Yeah, he knew what God had done for him. Yeah, he knew the hope he had. Yeah. 
Tom, Tom's going to try to redeem himself from the praying that his wife gets taken away. Well, and, 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 and uh, to Tom's point, is he also, he, he would say, part of my identity is, is that I'm, I'm a slave to Christ. And so, you know what? I just go where my master tells me to go and stuff. I, I got to tell you, none of us, I, I don't think any of you are going to, well, no, none of you are going to write half the New Testament. Okay, the Apostle Paul did that. We're not going to do that. I don't know that any of, any of us are going to, for 30 years, travel around the world taking the gospel where it's not been as maybe you do in some way or another but as I think through this other than the single answer which was a really good answer but for him particularly but all of us uh, all of us have the other things available to us we we, we I, I do think being content in Christ despite my circumstances that that's a that's a spiritual choice that we can make. This vision, mission, calling, uh, again, yours may not be to do what the Apostle Paul, I, I know it's not going to be, but God has a calling on your life, a sense of who you are. And it may change through the years, but like some of you right now, some of you right now are raising grandchildren. That's a calling. Uh, some of you are, are doing amazing things, and some of it, sometimes it's just little things. But that's, that's, that's a calling on your life. Uh, all of us, I joked about being an introvert, but there, I got a bit of a posse of my own people who speak into my life and I speak into theirs. And, and all of us, whether you know it or not, you're, you're a slave to God. The question is, are you going to be an obedient slave or are you going to be a, a slave who's, who's always kind of pushing back? And this isn't, this is, Paul never said this in a disgusted sort of way. He goes, aren't I lucky to have the greatest master that there's ever been. So the reason I want to say all this is, listen, all of us have a lot of what the Apostle Paul had available to him. The question is, will I choose to agree with that and live out of it, live out of it? All right, uh, let me close in prayer, but don't go anywhere because I have one more thing to talk about about this lesson before we do it. Lord, I, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the chance to slow down and talk about one of your amazing children, this man, Paul. But Lord, I, I'm just blown away by the idea that you don't see him more favorably than you see any man in this room. And it's just incredible that you love us like that, that you accept us like that, that you work along with us, and, and you don't have any greater vision for Paul than you do for each one of us. And Lord, I, I thank you for that. And Lord, I do pray that we would be men bold enough to have a sense of calling, bold enough to trust you in that, and bold enough to, to walk forward and live that out uh, in this world that desperately needs uh, your men to, to, to follow after you and to serve you and to love others. Lord, all these things are praying in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. Hey, before you leave, th our last slide, our last slide, Here, here's, here's your questions for today. And, and even if you're not in a group, I would encourage you to think about this and maybe share with somebody. Number one is, when was a time in your life you were enlightened to whom God is? Again, you weren't blinded on the road to Damascus, but maybe like me sitting in that classroom and hearing about the Krebs cycle, when was a time in your life you, said you got had an epiphany, an aha moment? Number two, Paul had a strong sense of his mission in life. 
Can you state your mission in life right now? Don't get hung up on this. Don't feel like it has to be perfect. But do you have a sense of this is what God is trying to do through me in this world? And then the third one is Paul's transformation from a persecutor of Christians to an evangelist. That's a pretty amazing change. What change have you seen in your life brought about by God? What change have you seen in your life brought about by God? Gentlemen, it's been great to be with you. I'm looking forward to 2024. Enjoy Paul's fruit market. We really look forward to hearing about that. Go out. Live out your mission. We'll see you next week.